0: You're listening to a very special episode of the Comics Pals. This is a new thing that we are rolling out. You've heard us do other specials before, but we are trying something new called the Comics Pals Book Club. This is something we're going to do uh, every so often, depending on interest. So definitely let us know what you think at the end. Where uh, We're just going to pick a book or a few books and talk about them. Uh, typically these will be topical things, but, uh, you know, so for this episode, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man because he does have a movie on the way, um, or out maybe depending on when this releases, uh, but, uh, there will be other. Others that we'll do that will be less topical than this. We're just going to talk about books that we really like. And we'll always let you guys know ahead of time um, what we're going to be except, talking about. Except for this time. Except for this time because it's the first time. So that you guys can jump on the bandwagon and uh, read along with us uh, for the episode. So uh, so for this one, we chose three super, super impactful uh, Spider-Man books. One of them being Spider-Man Blue. The other being Craven, Craven's Last Hunt, and the last one being the first arc of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, so th- these are the books, honestly, for me that have kind of, especially Blue and Ultimate Spider-Man, that have shaped my love of the character as a comic reader. Uh, obviously, other things brought me into the fandom, but I think Ultimate Spider-Man probably kind of is all of our first or one of the first things we read as Spider-Man fans, right?
1: Yeah, I was already a Spider-Man fan at that point, but Ultimate Spider-Man was what brought me back into comics as, like, a 16-year-old, you know, not as, like, a kid reading Spider-Man comics here and there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all three of these are, like, my—I think these are, th- if not the three best, like, unquestionably three of the best Spider-Man uh, arcs ever.
2: Yeah, I i think— Superior Spider-Man being top of the list. <laughs> I'll kill you where you stand.
0: Please. There are some people who feel that way, Um, but uh, none of those people are on this show. Uh, Maybe we'll do an episode about that at some point. If you guys want it, let us know. Uh, So we're going to start this conversation off, and that's Spider-Man Blue. Uh, So Spider-Man Blue uh, was written by Jeff Loeb and illustrated by Tim Sale. Uh, So this is another in a series of color Books that uh, this creative team did—they worked on Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray, and Captain America White—and uh, those are kind of their their big. Uh, that's part of their big color series. Phil, you're giving me a weird look. Oh well, they, uh, I didn't mean to,
3: but they also did the. They worked on a few DC titles together as well.
0: Yeah, I was just talking about like their color series, you know, like what we're here to talk about—the um, Marvel stuff. This we're not we're not talking about the distinguished competition right now. <laughs> DC, baby yeah um so this is a story that's uh about the relationship between spider-man and gwen stacy and kind of his mourning of her death uh i'm not gonna do too much of a recap of what happened in the book itself uh hopefully you guys are familiar with it on some level but we're gonna talk about it here i'll i'm gonna i'm gonna start um and I just want to kind of take it phase by phase. So if we could just talk about like the the early portions of the book, uh, what intrigued me most, I think, in the start is that it, although it does kind of begin with a fight between Peter and Green Goblin, it doesn't start with her death. In fact, that's not where the book goes, and I thought that that was
2: like really huh. Uh I would disagree. I think it does start with her death. It starts it starts with uh you know obviously it's it's the the nostalgia part of the uh of the book starts with the fight with Green Goblin, but the book itself starts on the bridge and he's talking about, you know, how it's Valentine's Day and uh, this is a special spot because of Gwen's death, blah blah blah, and
0: like that sets the impetus for the book. So I, I kind of think it does. But he doesn't. But he, unless they I'm, don't start unless at the death. Yeah, unless I'm mistaken, it doesn't. It doesn't start with like her, you know, being thrown off the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that. That's not. That's not a thing that they. Right. That it's that they more that, like
1: her death looms over the whole book, but. <clears throat> What I think is interesting, it's it's really not about her death or what leads to her death. It's about, like, their romance and, it's yeah, her life and his mourning her life, you know, and all the things that she meant to him and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's it's a lot more – it's just a lot more intimate.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely loved that element of it. Uh, Gwen, if you've never – a lot of people have not read those early comics and so they don't necessarily know – what their relationship was like and and what it was like reading those early books. And so it's interesting to me because in those early books, and this book shows it really well, they didn't actually have a relationship in the beginning. There was a lot of like, will they, won't they they, Mary Jane kind of being a spoiler and, and and they're kind of being this love triangle thing. Uh, And this book really hammers home in a lot of ways that because of his life as Spider-Man, there are so many things that Peter misses out on. And in some ways, he regrets how much time was taken away from him because of his life as Spider-Man that he couldn't give to her. And that's one of the things that about this book that really impacted me. Uh, because I think that that's... I mean, most of... Well, a lot of us won't have the experience of, of the person that we love dying at such a young age. But a lot of us have can have the feeling of wishing that we had more time to spend with our loved ones and a book like this especially makes me feel like that because you don't know how much time you're going to have with any one person
3: yeah i mean i think the most relatable aspect would be like a really bad breakup because in a way that's i mean it's trivializing the death of a a loved one but it's similar in the sense that you're having a total divorce from another person
1: i mean i think that's it's both though right because it's like That's what's so interesting about the concept of like, and unfortunately it's been overused, but I think Gwen Stacy is one of the few really good examples of it is why the death of of a lover is so much worse than, you know, he even says in Blue that it was the worst thing that ever happened to him and that I think even Uncle Ben would understand that right is that it's not only the death of someone that you love someone that's very close to you but also someone who is like your lover your companion your partner and like that is in and of itself a like you said it is a breakup and not to trivialize her death but those are two of the most you know traumatic things any list will tell you that right That those are the two of the most traumatic things any person can go through and he goes through both of them and it's his yeah. fault you know it's not like she just died in an accident like his actions as Spider-Man or the thing that took her away from him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I and and I mean that I think that's probably well, later comics have sort of retcon that. But he certainly feels the weight of that guilt. And I think that that that's a that's an important part of Peter's character. Um but this book gives you a, a sense in my opinion of not only Gwen's life but the life of Peter himself, because when it starts, he's kind of a, 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 a nerd and a geek and no one really pays attention to him. And it's when it's when Gwen really starts to pay attention to him, that he becomes more uh more part of the in crowd in terms of his circle of friends and stops being this outcast. And so she enriches his life from the word go. and And I really love that and how they how they portrayed their relationship in that sense.
3: I really liked the juxtaposition between Mary Jane Watson and Gwen, uh, Gwen Stacy as characters. I think
0: that's one of the most... Eff-
3: I came in really close Spider to saying Man Gwen stop. I almost said Gwen uh, Stefani. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
2: yeah, and I just wanted to point out, uh, they sort of, just the way you just described that, Sean, uh, They uh, Bendis uses uh, Mary Jane in the same way in the first uh, arc of uh, Ultimate,
1: Yeah, he very much, like, flip-flops. Yeah. What do you think like, of that, Pete? Popular portrayal? I mean, I, I actually like that. Um, because, I mean, I think for the sake of, um, like, for, for my generation, right? You know, like, we talk about, like, my Spider-Man or whatever. Like, when I was growing up, like, I didn't know who Gwen Stacy was until I was older. You know? Because, like, by the time I was born, Gwen Stacy had been dead for like 15 years or something like that, you know, a long time. Um, So she was never a relevant character to me as a child. Uh, You know, the the relationship between him and MJ was always what I knew. So I think that made sense for modern audiences to kind of make her his girl next door, high school sweetheart versus, you know, Gwen being that more, that more like kind of, again like just again that girl next door right and mj was like the the wild one the party girl or whatever and i think they did that in a way that felt uh appropriate for a generation that grew up with mary jane and then also like modernizing that persona a little bit in how they handled gwen i thought you know like making her be like a little bit more 2000s like you know punk rough around the edges kind of girl instead but we'll talk more about about that in the ultimate conversation I was going to say, just to take it back to Kale's point, uh, or maybe it was Phil's point, actually. But, yeah, I think one of the biggest strengths of Blue is the juxtaposition of um, of his relationship with Mary Jane versus his relationship with Gwen Stacy and how one kind of informed the other.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so we should we should just dive in and talk about the relationship that he has with Gwen, and then we'll talk about the relationship that he has with MJ throughout the series. So as, as we already established, Gwen is kind of his in- to gaining some level of popularity, Uh, this book does take place, and it shows you uh, sort of the quote-unquote death of the Green Goblin because Norman loses his memory, and he's in the hospital. Uh, Peter saves him. Spider-Man saves him. And so now he's got a friendship with Harry that then kind of leads him into meeting Gwen and her sort of sticking up for him in front of Flash and in front of all, you know, the other jocks and whatever. Um, She's very warm towards him and you get the sense that she's, that she's cared for him on a deep level from the moment that their eyes meet. And the book, uh, there's this, there's a particular moment where he's, um, I think he's buying the motorcycle, I believe is when it is. And he looks back and she's been staring at him and her eyes are on him and they connect. And he says, I believe he says something like "Let's fall in love," something like that. I think that's actually the, yeah, the I, title I, of the I, issue.
1: Yeah, I think the line is he's like, "I was foolish enough to think something let like, 'Let's fall in love.'"
2: You know? Yeah. No, that's uh, that's in the uh, the lab. Oh it's no, yeah, yeah that's in motorcycle. class. They're in class. Oh, okay. Yeah, when okay, yeah,
3: and that's when she delivers that great line about Flash leaving his brain behind in the yeah. football helmet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. So yeah, Gwen is Gwen is kind of. Gwen is kind of cool and collected but also kind of sassy and she's 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 a very interesting character especially when juxtaposed to Mary Jane who's wild and and outgoing and all that stuff. Um why do you guys think that Gwen was attracted to Peter? What like based on the book, what do you think gravitated her towards him?
3: He's the main character. <laughs> she probably she probably knew he's spider-man well
1: i mean it's interesting because i think at the end of the book and i know we're jumping around a little bit here but you know we said we're diving in so we're diving in but at the end of the book um you know she gives him the line that she was attracted to him or, or decided she really needed to get to know him and made the first move as it were because as everyone else is running away from a crisis he's running towards it like a fireman, right? and and I think it's just a matter of that she doesn't know he's Spider-Man right but I think that Gwen sees that there's something about him that there's more than meets the eye as it were
3: you know well let's look at the other characters in their group there's a meathead who she doesn't like makes it very clear multiple times there's a very sickly looking rich kid who has very strange hair <laughs> who
1: has white guy cornrows <laughs> yeah.
3: and then other characters who were never really introduced to and just there no wonder
0: she's got to like Peter Parker. Well, I think, you know, I think Pete actually made a really good point, whereas you're just- <laughs> <laughs> Uh Which is that she sees what's heroic in him. You know, beyond him being a nerd and all that stuff, she sees what's heroic. Her father's a cop. So that that probably plays a huge role in why she would be attracted to someone who runs into those situations even if he's just kind of doing it because he gets paid or whatever there's still this like he's not he's not shying away from those situations uh so i i definitely think that 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 you're hitting on something there Pete.
1: and i think to to phil's point too i mean right like look at peter right he is out there working and putting himself in these dangerous situations and showing like bravery in some capacity whereas like you said the other two like male characters that we are introduced to are a guy who can't stop talking about how great he was in high school and how great he is with the ladies and then uh you know like you said a kind of sickly you know rich boy who throws money around you know and like peter's not either of those things like he's you know a down-to-earth guy he's smart and you know he's brave
3: she sees through the bullshit of like the high school structure of like socio hierarchy, kind of you know, where it's like, oh, look at this outsider. But she like sees through it right away. Like she's never like, oh, Pete's an outsider. I'm not gonna pay attention to him. Like, I don't think she cares that much about it. I
1: think they are in college. I think they're yeah, in college. he meets her in college. Oh, they but are he, in
3: college, but it's still kind of high school. He knows
1: school-y. Flash from high school, so they still have that like high school bully nerd dynamic, and he's that's why he's still like taken aback by the fact that people like him,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't think it's fair to say that she didn't like Harry though or or that she – because she definitely at some point or another they were dating, right? Or was it – yeah. So there is something because well, yeah, she, she goes to go out with him
1: on that uh, – to that like theater thing or whatever but like
0: – Right, yeah.
1: It also seems like they're dealing with dating in the way more casual sense that I think like – our parents like talk about it where like they weren't like together, and like she was definitely interested in Peter, whether or not she was dating him, and the same thing was happening with m j right like she was dating Harry, but she wasn't really into him, you know she was like he's a nice guy, and you know we're having fun together or whatever, but like I'm not serious about him
0: so now let's let's talk a little bit about Mary Jane because she's way different than Gwen, Mary is the one who comes to peter's door looking for him right like she is she is all in she knows what she wants and she's ready to take it um
3: she knows what? she's hot as fuck because as she <laughs> put it let's face it tiger you just hit the jackpot yeah
1: dude i mean that's the thing exactly. Is like she's the center of attention and she knows it and she like owns it
3: the way the way she works that cop yeah during the lizard right, fiasco. right.
1: Or even just, even just her general attitude. It's that whole, like he says, like, you know, life is a party and I'm the cake, right? Like, that's how Peter describes it. And it's like, that's her whole mentality at that point in her life, you know, where she is this, like, life of the party kind of person.
2: There's a, there's a lewd joke there, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to leave it alone.
3: What do you want? You don't want to take a slice out of that? that strawberry cake? cake. Oh, I
2: definitely <laughs> do.
1: God, that's gross, guys.
3: <laughs> it would definitely be strawberry shortcake. Anyway, go on. Wow. Uh, so it's it's really... For the record?
2: I was just gonna leave that there. I wasn't gonna go You did it!
1: You put us there
0: <laughs> I had to put the cherry on top. Oh that
1: god damn it.
0: <laughs> it's really interesting for me as someone who started reading Amazing Spider Man comics when Peter and MJ were already adults. To see her this way. They had
1: been married for like 10 years.
0: Right. Like, they had already been married. They'd already been through so much. Gwen was long dead. It's... Go ahead. When I, when I started, they were in the process of getting
2: divorced in Amazing Spider-Man. So. There you go.
3: Well, that's, that's the best book I've ever written, anyway.
2: No, not that one.
0: Never mind. Go on. It's, it's really interesting to see her this way because in the modern comics at that time, when I started reading, she's very reserved. Uh, actually, more like Gwen... Than she is like herself, like the old version of herself. So in that sense, Gwen was probably more mature, um, and 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 MJ kind of morphs into that after the death of Gwen Stacy. I think the death of Gwen really impacts her um, in a different way than it than it impacts Peter, but it still hits her. And throughout this entire book, they're rivals for the heart of Peter, um, but I think she turns the corner when Gwen dies.
3: One thing I heard a lot of older people complain about with the original Spider-Man films is that Mary Jane was really Gwen Stacy in those movies. And I and I've heard people say that happened in the comics too. Like like she had a 180 character change after Gwen died kind of thing. And I've heard older fans complain about that shit.
1: I mean, I think it's true on some level, but I also feel like it's like legitimate character growth. Because, like, I don't really think it's her becoming Gwen Stacy as much as it is, like... Like, again, they allude to this in the book, right? That it's, like, there is this moment where, like, she goes and sees him after Gwen's death. And he kind of screams at her and is, like, you know, you need to, like, get over yourself and grow up a little bit. Like, this whole, like, life is a party thing is, like... Like, our friend is dead. Like, my girlfriend is dead. You know? Like, this is not a time for that. And I think, like, that is a wake-up call for her. You know? She changes. You know? She does like see the world differently because she's affected by loss.
0: Yeah. But to Phil's point, I do think that this Mary Jane, this incarnation of Mary Jane is, is really interesting because she's not the typical sort of girl next door character. Uh, not at all and so it, it, like I like that about her I like that she's, she's got a firecracker. I like that she she's a firecracker I love all that stuff but she's not stupid either she has she has her wits about her um, I wish we had seen that version of the character in the original Spider-Man film
3: Sean just likes his red heads. me too
0: baby <laughs> and thigh highs there are a lot of thigh highs in this book. literally um, whole,
1: every time that there's a woman in shoes it's like yep they're thigh highs um
0: let let's talk about the villains a little bit. We're kind of we're kind of jumping around, but I do want to talk about the villains because Green Goblin as much as as much as Gwen Loom's over this story, I think Green Goblin does as well. And this is this is a story that really solidifies why Green Goblin is uh Peter's greatest villain because he takes so much from him, right? Um
1: and it is At least in those days, man, yeah. you know, like no question.
0: Yeah, so the, the book begins, as I said earlier, with him being defeated, and he loses his memory, allegedly. Um, but throughout the book, he's putting together—he's uh, gathering villains to test Spider-Man. And he's taking from him. He's actively taking from him. Go ahead, Kill. Is it him? Yeah.
2: Do we think it's him? It is. It, it, it's him. I was under the impression it was Kraven.
0: Was it not Kraven? I'm almost positive it's Green Goblin, which was wrong? the question.
2: Because that's <laughs> So Sean Sean said that the Green Goblin is putting together all of these oh, villains no. to yeah, go no, against Spider Man.
0: You're you're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, it's absolutely Craven. Yeah, that's right. revealed yes. in book six. You're absolutely right. I, and I read this last night. What but Green you? Goblin doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah. No. What I'm saying is, what I was mistaken. That I was I I forgot that it was Craven.
2: Sorry, Sean. One more time. Uh, I missed that middle part.
0: Um, but I—I I, I, go ahead. I was just gonna
3: say, it's like a big theme in these color series books. Is that it kind of parades the rogues gallery, which I feel like is a big Jeff Loeb thing. Because so I think of like Long Halloween too, for instance, or not Long Halloween. Um, Hush, where again yeah. it's like a ca- well, in Long Halloween.
2: Yeah. And uh, yeah, Long Halloween and Dark Victory. Yeah, I think I think it it really um. You know, when you're looking at something nostalgically like that, you sort of take those bigger, like, not necessarily negative events, but, like, you know, like, negative events, uh, and you kind of see those and the things branching off of them. You know, you have these, they're sort of like the tent poles. You know, so, like, each issue had its villain, and then there was
1: a story around it. Okay, that. yeah, I see what you're saying.
3: So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's that's built a very kind of, consistent structure of his stories.
2: I, I, for me, especially here in Spider-Man Blue, it kind of makes sense that that that's how he would look at his
0: life. Well, but that's that's also what was actively happening, right? Like, it, it's it's for me the difference between how they handled it in like the Long Halloween versus here. Is that here it's very clear that th- that 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 part of his life is it's the most important thing, but it's also a huge intrusion uh to the point where while he's getting beaten up by the new vulture, he's thinking about Gwen and how much he wishes that he didn't have to miss the party that they threw for him you know like the the homecoming party um and those things hold so much more weight when you realize that he wasn't going to get to spend the rest of his life with her, you know? So those those are precious moments that his rogues gallery has removed from his life. And that's one of the most interesting things to me about Spider-Man is that more than almost any other one of these characters, of these heroes, he has a life, you know, like a real life. He He's got in this particular book he has two girls that that are interested in him he has a job, he has on May to care for and to look after he's got school, there's so much happening and he has this right, he has the extra burden of having to deal with these villains and never knowing when there's going to be an attack Uh, and so I think that when you're talking about a Spider-Man book that gives you a clear idea of who this character is Spider-Man Blue does that in spades because it includes all the major elements of what it's like to live his life.
1: Yeah, and not just... And I I think what I really like about this and what we're going to talk about more in *Craven: the Hunter is that I think it really drives home the point that, like, unlike how a lot of uh, writers will try to make the the point of, like, oh, like, Bruce Wayne is the mask and and he's really Batman, it's, like, the opposite is true of Spider-Man. You know, is that, like, Peter Parker is, like, that's who Spider-Man is. And that, like, as much as dealing with the rogues gallery and all those are part of his life and his problems. Like you said, where is his head at when he's dealing with that? He's wishing he was at the party and lamenting the fact that he missed out on spending time with a pretty girl, you know, or like he says like the thing, like I shouldn't be out here doing this. Like I should be having a pretty girl read me Huck Finn. You know, it's like, and that's all been there. Right. And and, again, that's a thing that like he, he never got to do. And like, he always regretted and he's always thought about, I was out there doing this instead of, spending time with you and he even I think it's after he has the dream and he says it's like you know how many like how many like dates did I miss or how many kisses did I miss out on you know how many times could we have been walking in the park holding hands or whatever you know and
4: and and that's something that makes him like really really relatable because it's you don't have to necessarily be a superhero to do that like you can be uh, a dad being like hey like your how girl, many
2: you're your girlfriend can live across an ocean.
4: Yeah, your girlfriend can live across an ocean. You know, like how many, how many things are are we missing? Like, like it, it just makes it that much more powerful.
1: And again, like he makes the connection oftentimes in both this and Craven, where he calls like being Spider-Man his job, right? And it's like how many hour, like how many hours have I missed out on spending with my, you know, my lover or my children while I was at work? And like that's a very human problem.
0: Exactly. Um, did you guys think that there was any significance to the fact that there are two vultures in this story instead of one no I have not ever thought about that
1: why do you have an angle there
0: well I I hope this doesn't this doesn't sound um, sexist in any way but it's just what I was thinking about as I was reading the book Uh, so in Peter's life he has two women vying for his affection Meanwhile, in Spider-Man's life, he has two vultures trying to kill him.
1: Oh, huh. I've never thought about that, but I, I feel like that might actually be intentional. Now that you think about it, because the the issue where they're specifically pitting pitted against one another is the issue where that happens.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was a framing technique, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I never, yeah, I never, I never put that together, but yeah, I think there's something to that.
0: Kale, you seem I I I guess
2: I, I Sean, I'd like you to elaborate on that if you can, because I, I I see it and I see what you're saying, but I don't I guess I don't I, and I see that, yeah, that was probably intentional. I guess I don't necessarily see the significance though.
0: Well, I mean I'm not sure myself. Uh I I, I was reading it last night and I had never noticed that before. And I realized it and I thought, oh, well, that's interesting that kind of, there's this kind of, like Phil said, fra- framing device of, well, while in his normal life he's dealing with this problem where there's kind of this triangle, but vying for his affection in his other life, there's a triangle, but they're vying for to take his life from him. So I, I don't know what that means necessarily. It's like, I, you know.
3: it's like a duality thing. Right. Yeah because no one will Man ever love Spider-Man him. the way people love Peter Parker.
1: That's true, too. I, I think, well, except for Flash Thompson, right?
3: <laughs> uh, he um, loves Peter.
1: Well, he loves Spider-Man. Uh, I I think it, it's kind of interesting, too, because when you, when you think about it, there's also kind of a duality there between um, the two vultures and Craven. You know, that they're all working against each other in a triangular kind of thing around Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, I I really like I really like how he's kind of being swarmed by his villains during this most important time in his personal life. You know, where where any one of us would be consumed with the fact that we have these two uh intelligent attractive women vying for our affection, he can't be solely committed to that because he has this other life where like literally his life is on the line and the lives of others are on the line. And I just, I don't know. I just find that fascinating about Spider-Man in a way that I don't for any other character that I can think of. I
1: don't think any other character does it as well. I really don't. Like, I think that's one of the strengths of Spider-Man is that like, like you said, like he has a real life. He's a real person in terms of like the things that he deals with, you know, like his problems are very blue collar, human down to earth, like average person
0: problems. So I, I do want to highlight Jeff Loeb's writing here. Because I think, uh, for me, this is one of his strongest works in terms of the writing that he did. Um, He was able to. This book came out in two thousand and four, I believe. Um, He was able to capture the spirit of that time period. So when this was written, I guess it would have been the seventies or the the seventies or late late
3: sixties. Yeah, okay, the, the art, art really is. feels Steve Ditko ish. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. And actually, if you have the uh, the hardcover edition from 2009, in the back of the book, Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb talk about the art, and they talk mm-hmm. about how for for Tim, it was almost intimidating as he was researching and studying uh, Steve Ditko's work to try and like replicate it on some level, but give his own flavor to it while still paying homage to what came before.
1: I mean, I think he does such a good job. I mean, like, Steve Ditko's Spider Man is like, that's my favorite, like, take on the costume. And I think, in terms of like, he, he nails that. You know, like, I think, in terms of like all of the like Spider Maning moments, like, that's all really top shelf.
2: Is it, uh, is it Ditko or Ramita that this, um, this generation was on? I think it's Ramita.
3: The um, beginning, the beginning pays tribute to John Romita Sr. Actually, but I believe uh, the, it might be later. Like,
1: um, I guess it depends on where exactly we're drawing the line. Because I was Romita drawing it by the time he was in th- at ESU?
4: Yeah, th- I think it might have been.
2: He yeah. was because Ditko was only a few issues. He wasn't that many. That's true. Hey, yeah, it's Romita. Spider-Man Blue, baby. That's my book. It's I my- said it from episode <laughs> one. That's a book that I read all the time and I carry everywhere I go. He does. I know this book.
4: Yeah, it's Ramita.
3: There you go, folks. There you have it. Yeah, Carol. shut up, I'm
0: baby. looking at it right it. now. He does talk about the the weight of kind of having to study Ramita's work and, and go over it and, and try to replicate it and pay homage um, and how much of a burden that was for him. Um, but I I think he did an excellent job. Uh, yeah, I,
3: of course. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely terrific in this book. Mm-hmm. One thing Sale I want to is point out terrific. um that
2: I I have always thought about this book is that uh, that first fight with the green goblin the the goblin almost looks like a a Dr. Seuss character. Yeah. I can see that. Like if you if you with the really really thin limbs and yeah, then just like the, the line work. Massive eyes. I yeah. I think it's really funny. That's also awesome. super menacing. Or like a Chuck Jones character, maybe. Especially, especially, holy crap. Especially when you juxtapose that with uh, Norman at the end of the book. Oh,
1: yeah, where he looks so sickly and...
2: He looks, well, and he he looks a little bit thicker, too. Or maybe I'm confusing that with uh, uh, Ultimate, but... Mm. Like, he looks more beefy than the goblin does
0: when he's on his death. Well, not his deathbed, but in the, uh, in the hospital, in, in bed. like
2: the, uh, well in the, uh, specifically I'm thinking of, you know, at the end when, uh, Harry is with him on the, on the rafters or whatever. Yeah. in the, construction the site. attack.
0: Yeah. 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 I totally see what you're saying. Uh, I did, I did want to call out a particular panel. Uh, and, and it's, it might be, it's one of my favorite panels in the book. It's, the look that we referred to earlier that Gwen gives Peter, uh, just because like I, I would love for any for a woman who I'm in love with to look at me like this. Like this is just this is a beautiful panel. Is that a um, call out? Yeah, <laughs> it is.
2: Um, Rebecca, there you go, Rebecca. It, right in. Tell us how it
0: goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just a it's just a beautiful panel, and I think it it kind of captures Gwen's whole personality in one look. Um in terms of just just really portraying that like coolness and and playing it cool but also like that smirk that she has. I don't know, to me this is just definitive Gwen Stacy. When I think of Gwen, this is this is what I think about. So
1: I think um to now that we're talking about the art, I think like we mentioned earlier how it really does a good job of juxtaposing um m j and Gwen, and I think the art is like a big part of that because there are actually like a lot of there are a lot of moments like that where it's like big close up on their eyes, like where are they looking yeah. what what is what, look at what is the emotion on their face right now, and it's between both of them. it happens at least two times each um and I think like that's always. I mean, like we said at the top, right? Like these guys have worked together a lot, and I think it's just so cool when you see the writer and artist like playing off each other in that way, and like reinforcing things both visually and through the narrative.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, flipping through it right now, like I, I already see what you're talking about.
1: You know, like like MJ's like, and not to say that like like MJ's hot and Gwen is cool. You know what I mean? Like she's got that fire, and she's more ice, and it's like you see that in the even just like the way that the colors are done and the focus on her eyes versus her eyes. And it's, it's really, I don't know. It's, it's really sharp.
2: Uh, yeah. For me that, uh, that calls to mind the, uh, the scene in the, uh, the soda shop where MJ first meets, you know, the gang. She's a hurricane. And Peter She's a has to rush off. It kind of, it kind of shows like, I don't know, maybe uh, there might be a place for this, but uh, it shows that MJ kind of she can pull the focus in for Peter and give like the distraction while Gwen, you know, is looking after him and is like, uh-oh, you know. Her her focus is Peter.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Gwen is putting the attention on Peter and with MJ the attention's always on her.
2: Yeah, well, and I think if I if I remember correctly, you see Peter outside the window and that's where Gwen is looking. While everybody else is looking at MJ,
0: so I I do want to talk about Jeff Loeb's writing. Uh, we got we got sidetracked. Um, but before we do move on from the book, I really want to talk about his writing because, uh, again, I I think he did such an amazing job capturing that time period, um, with his writing and not in a way that came across cheesy or lame, uh, but it just felt appropriate for. Not only the time that that these stories were written, right the origin, the original stories, but for the time period that these characters would have existed in, um, I, I just thought he he excellently captures all of that and there's a way there, there's a way that he captures Peter's sadness that hits so so home, and he he draws connections to things like what we were talking about um, regarding the ways in which he missed out on life, and on love, because of Spider-Man, that, you know, of course all this stuff has been done, but I I just feel that with Blue, he really, he really, like, brought the hammer down on that, you know, he, he didn't hit the nail on the head, and that it was, like, on the nose, he just tells it in a way that it really, you can really feel it.
1: It resonates, and I I think it's just like he's telling what is a very human story and saying something that I think a lot of people resonate with, and he happens to be saying it through Spider-Man. And, like, that is always the best superhero stories, you know? Um, But I think one of the things that I I had when I was reading it was it really reminded me of a few months ago when I reread Scott Pilgrim, where it was a book that I remember really connecting with as a teenager and then reading it again as an adult, and how it hit me way harder this time because I could relate to it more because I can be wistful about being younger and like, you know, having those like very innocent kind of formative, pure, young, in love kind of experiences, you know? And um, that's the thing that like, I connected with, but I I hadn't felt in that way, you know? I hadn't felt those like, those kinds of losses yet in, in a way that was personal, and now I could relate to it even more as an adult,
0: you know? This book, um, just a combination of the subject matter, Jeff's writing and the way he treats it, and Tim's amazing artwork. I've read it, I think I've read it like five times. And every single time I cry at the exact same part, right at the end, it gets me every time. uh, And it probably will never fail. Uh, And every time I read it, it's it's for the same reason, but I'm a different person at that point. So for me now, I'm reading it. I was reading it last night on the couch with my girlfriend sleeping right next to me. And I'm thinking, you know, how would I feel if I were Peter? And that's something that I never could have thought before because I was never there, you know. And uh, this is, I think, Pete, you, you said it best. This is a book that, you know, it, it can grow with you and, and, it, and it gets better, uh, you know, as you, as you kind of get older and and experience different kinds of situations so um this is this is probably my favorite spider-man story for for that reason for a lot of reasons
1: this is like arguably like this is like one of my all-time favorite comics you know like this is like absolute top shelf for me and it's like it's a book that like i'm confident that when i read again you know like in another one or five or ten years that like it'll continue to resonate with me
0: yeah any other closing thoughts about blue or go ahead
3: i got kind of frustrated with it honestly because like maybe it's because it's not the first low sale combination but it it felt like it felt like uh all the other things they've done like they frame their narrative so similarly um in almost all the books, they do like Daredevil. Yellow is very similar to this. Uh, I felt like Hush is similar to this. It, it's like uh, Superman for all seasons. Like it's nostalgic. There's a little bit of a mystery intrigue going on with the whole Craven thing, and it was just frustrating. So I was like, "Is this all you can do?"
0: <laughs> I I'm sorry. I just had the 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 moment of revelation um, that. Uh, this is not on topic to what you were just saying, but that Craven says he was paid oh. to to attack Spider Man. So there you go, or to attack Peter. So it was the Norman. Yeah, so it, it was is that's, the Norman. That's, oh right, Norman. yeah,
1: he says yeah. that. Yeah, the Goblin's dead, but I still have to fulfill the
0: contract. Right. So okay, you were right. Right.
3: Avoid um, the Noim. <laughs>
0: To address, to address your point, Phil, I totally see where you're coming from. I was
3: just very frustrated with that because I, I recognize the quality of it. But, it's be, but, but because I've read something like this by them a few times, it was like, okay, I get it.
2: Well, and I think I, 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 I just read Craven's Last Hunt for the first time. And I, I feel the exact same way about that book.
3: With, compa- um, in comparison to what? Well,
2: in, in comparison to what you're saying. Like the way you feel about Spider Man Blue, I feel that way about Craven's Last Time. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there, we'll I, get I do there. want to talk about that.
0: Yeah. Kale, this is a book that you said is super important to you. Do you have any closing words about Spider Man Blue? Gwen Gwen Stacy. Uh, oh, we should talk about
2: this at some other point. We should do a Gwen Stacy episode. Uh, That'd be cool. Uh, yeah. Gwen Stacy is my straight up dream girl. I said that since high school when this book came out. I uh, 100% Love this book. I carry, like I said, I carry it with me everywhere I go. Um, my my copy is in tatters. Um, buy this book. Uh, love this book. Yeah, um, it it's it's so good. If I recommend this book to friends. Like if you if you have someone who wants to get into Spider Man because of the movie, this is a perfect book to do that with.
0: Yeah, I mean, no amount of of, uh, talking and superlatives can up this book enough to sort of tell you what it's like to read it. You kind of just, you have to read it. Um, Hopefully, we did a decent job of giving you guys an idea what it's about. Um, But it really is amazing. And again, if you are looking to uh, jump into more Spider-Man stuff before the movie, check this one out. Marco, did you have any closing thoughts about Spider-Man Blue?
4: I enjoyed it. I mean, for to for you guys to say that it's the best Spider-Man book out there, then it kind of makes me feel like I mean, is that it? Like, if th- if this is if this is supposed to be like the the defining thing of Spider-Man, it's like, oh, all
2: right. I think yeah. I think if I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I think if someone were to say, give me one book about Spider-Man. Uh, and then I'll never read another Spider-Man book. I think this is the book I would give them. Yeah, probably.
1: Me too. I'd be I'd be okay with that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because like if like it has everything that Spider-Man's about. It's got his family. It's got you know. It's got the the drama. It's got the romance angle. It's got several romance angles. It's got you know. He's bullied. He you know. He inspires. Um. It's got a lot of really solid editions uh, from his Rogues Gallery. I, I, it's all there if you ask me.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Marco. You don't like superheroes, you know? Like, that's you fair. don't like human stories about superheroes. You just don't like.
4: <laughs> that's fair. I mean, I, I, and also, I, I, I told you guys also like when we when I first read it, I had I had already read the um, the original like Lee and Ramita stuff. So for yeah. me, it was almost like a rehashing of it.
1: Oh, that's so like. That's such a, like... <laughs> that, like, hurts me. <laughs> that it's a rehashing. It, like, it's so much better than those stories. No, it like, is, it
4: is, it is. But I'm, I'm just saying it, it draws upon, like, page for page, panel for panel certain stuff.
1: Yeah, like, it's informed by those things, of course. But, like, that's, like, that's part of it's what... Definitely,
2: it's definitely not meant to be read alongside those things. Right,
4: it's definitely not supposed to be. Right, right, of course. But I... Unfortunately, read it before, like after I had read the like where it draws from.
1: I mean, like I read those stories before I read Blue too. Um, it was just like not like one right after the other, you know. And it was like, uh, it it is like a thing that's like it is rooted in nostalgia to some degree for mm-hmm. sure, you know. Like, but I think that's a that's part of it, you know. Like, because even the the story itself is about Peter reminiscing, you know. Right.
0: Yeah, uh, um, I guess that's an unfortunate back-to-back back for you but uh I, yeah i don't know this, i get this i get the just,
4: short end all the time I, I i don't like arkham asylum i don't like invincible i don't like ryan otley you don't
0: even read invincible you <laughs> piece of shit let's let's not even go there uh, we will save that for the comments. marco hates properly. superheroes he's such a jerk let's talk about another spider-man book let's talk about craven's last hunt uh, so Craven's last hunt is a storyline by J M Dematius, I think. Uh, Dematius. 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 No, it's
1: Dematius, I think. Dematius.
0: Dematius. Dematius. <laughs> uh, and and Mike. The part of
2: the show where Sean uh, <laughs> yeah messes up somebody's name. Yeah.
0: Or or just something in general, you know. Uh.
2: <laughs> oh no, we call that show the Comics Pals. <laughs> no, that's a good joke. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See that's untrue, but I'll let it go. Um, so it's by which part? It was a solid joke, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the arts by Mike Zeck, um, and it's it's a it's sort of the final battle between Craven and Spider Man. Um, so there's there's some interesting backstory. So I, I do want to dive into the backstory before we start talking about the book proper. Dive right because, in, Sean, <laughs> because Jam wanted to do initially a Wonder Man limited series uh, that would be in the same vein, and the villain would have been Grim Reaper. And it was just... The basic premise was just... um, I would have read that book. Right? But they turned it down. The idea of Wonder Man being buried and and crawling out of the grave, which we see in this book. Um, It was turned down, and then years later when he transitioned to working for DC, he... Wanted to do the same story, but with Batman and the Joker. Um, so, because they were working on The Killing Joke at the time, DC turned it down. Although it did, it did actually come out later um, as a different. It was I forget what it was called, but it was a different story. Going sane was was what it was called. Um, but he finally was able to do this before going sane. He was able to do it with Spider Man. Um, through this story, Craven's Last Hunt, and initially Craven was not going to be the villain; uh, it was going to be Vermin. Uh, but then, funnily enough, uh, he happened to be looking through the Spider-Man handbook that Marvel had produced or whatever, and he saw Craven in there, and he realized he would be a perfect foil for Spider-Man for this story. Um, so let's just let's dive right into it and just talk about this book. No. I'm not going to give you – we're not going to, like, go chapter for chapter. Let's just talk about the book.
3: So I just literally read the book before we did this episode, and I thought it was spectacular. I liked the whole Tiger, Tiger poem by um, was that? William Blake? Yes. But Spider, Spider instead. And the way they – this is Craven's story. And, like, the way you see him eating spiders and then, like, combating, like, massive figurative spiders and shit – I thought it was fucking awesome.
2: I guess I guess that was the thing for me is like you know this was the first time I'd read it and it's always been touted to me as one of the best Spider-Man stories ever. But for me it was a better Craven story. Yeah. Well, um I actually kind of so,
1: I kind of disagree with that reading of it cuz like I think I think it, like Craven carries a huge part of this story. But I think ultimately what the what it's really about is as much as it is about Craven's struggle with honor and what his family name means and everything, um, I think that like the real core of what the book is trying to say is that Craven like misunderstands what Spider Man is. Yeah, it's about know, or, what
3: it means to be to be Spider Man,
1: right? And that you know he like. Uh, asserts that, you know, he's the better Spider-Man because he was able to best this uh, this villain that, that Peter wasn't able to alone or whatever, but that the real key there is that, like, what makes Spider-Man is, is Peter, and that's that Peter is a compassionate person, and Craven could never be that.
2: I guess, yeah.
1: And maybe not never, because we do see him, you know, kind of have a change of heart to some degree when he re- reaches that peace that he needed, but...
3: It kind of ties together with your whole thing, Pete, where you talk about Spider Man is Peter Parker, not Spider Man, like as a as a character. Where you you were talking about the trope of, well, Batman's really the person, Bruce Wayne's the mask, but this story reflects that kind of message you're delivering of like, well, Spider Man is Peter Parker, and that's what makes him Spider Man.
1: Exactly, and and they they flat out say that you killed a mask, you didn't kill a man.
2: Yeah, and I think I think I had the same trouble you did. Phil uh with spider-man blue i i've seen that before uh i'm i feel like i remember there being a time when norman osborne took over a spider-man uh at the very least i know he kidnapped him for a couple days and drugged him they got to a fight in an abandoned mansion and uh had that uh weird art by Humberto Ramos where they talk about uh, Mr. Coffee or whatever.
3: I was thinking about the Azrael Batman. Sure. Or when Uh, Mr. Majestic replaced
2: Superman. But also, um, you know, recently with Superior Spider-Man, everybody thinks they can be a better Spider-Man except Spider-Man. And I think I I had the same trouble with that as you did, Phil, and just that I've seen it before. Oh yeah, this is not, where it comes from. <laughs> and not yeah, and, and that could be true. Um and not even that I think this was bad. I just I I just
0: it's that with a different rapper, you know. So this book takes place at a particularly interesting time in Peter's life because uh the character, I believe his name was Joe Face, just died and Ned Leeds has just had just died. Ned Leeds being a pretty important character in spider-man uh history
4: who, who is he because i he's... was confused about that like i i knew who joe face was but i didn't know who that ned guy was
0: it's funny to me that you
4: knew who yeah i was like what joe why? Face is.
1: <laughs> why do you know who joe face <laughs> is that you don't know who ned
4: leads is i I've, i don't know I, i've heard i've heard joe face i don't know fair enough
0: interesting um, well he was he was a character who was a part of Peter's life for a long time. He worked at the Bugle at some point, um, and he was like I think he was getting married to Betty Brandt, and then he he's ends a up become, of
1: Peter's yes.
0: he ends up becoming the the hobgoblin and is exposed Oh wait, he's as such.
4: That's when he was he was dating Betty and then like that was the the guy after he dated her?
2: Me. After Peter dated yes. Betty
4: yeah, he was like living in like another city or whatever, and he'd come to visit, or he was like a soldier or something. I don't know. If that's the same person. Marco, what he... do you know
0: all this from? Uh, I was like yeah. this,
4: like the old, the Stanley stuff. All right, never mind. Continue, carry
0: on. Just curious. Peter's at a point in his life where he's realizing uh, that his mortality is in question. That the lifestyle he lives could lead to his death. He says as much. Um, he he recounts the many deaths of his of his allies and lovers. Gwen, uh, her father, Uncle Ben—you know—all these people who have gotten Ned Leeds, who have died—and he kind of says to himself, "I'm gonna die," and he he says, "I've never really thought about that before, but that's the reality, especially doing what I'm doing right now," um, and that is at the core of this story. Um, something that is so important is him coming face to face with his mortality.
1: Well, and I think also to build off something that you said that's established in Spider-Man Blue, right, is that, like, that not just maybe, like, his own mortality, but also just that, like, his life is taken away by being Spider-Man. You know, that, like, he had two weeks of his life, of his newlywed life, that he'll never get back because some maniac fucking threw him in a grave, you know, and buried him alive.
0: Right. So, yeah, Craven. Decides that he's gonna go out and he's gonna hunt Spider-Man, but he does it in a way that he's never done before. Um, this is Craven at his most feral. This is Craven taking herbs and drugs and poison and all this spiders, he, all all this kind of crazy stuff, and he comes at Spider-Man in a way that Spider-Man has never had to deal with him before, and Spider-Man's kind of at you know in a weakened emotional state. Uh just because of what's been going on, and he catches him off guard and he does beat him uh and he buries spider man and he as was said earlier, he puts on the costume and he becomes spider man himself. What do you guys think is the significance in Craven's mind of him putting on the costume?
4: It's like wearing the skin of a uh, the hunt, the kill it's the go. it's the pride it's the uh him being like you know not only am I have I defeated this monster? I've become this monster. And I'm showing that like by wearing the skin of it.
1: I think there's also something to it that like a big theme in this is, is Craven's fear of like, not only his less so his mortality and more. So I think like fear of admitting defeat or admitting fear or admitting that his age is catching up to him and that his legacy might not be what he wanted it to be. And um, I think in a way like him, you know, it's like, putting on the skin of the kill, but also, like, that he perceives Spider-Man as being, like, more than a man. And that if he becomes the Spider-Man, he'll be stronger than his fear, or he'll be able to conquer his fear, or devour his fear.
2: Well, and I wonder if the the suit, you know, this is the the black suit that we see, you know, uh, that the, the, the uh, symbiote created, and then Spider-Man just kind of went with you know whenever he gets mad uh you know i i wonder i wonder how i i i can't i can't sit here and assume that craven would know about the symbiote but you know we know that at one point spider-man was venom and then venom came out of the symbiote and then you know spider-man wears that when he's mad and it's that, that costume is a little bit bigger than Spider-Man himself. The thing,
1: the thing to consider there though is like he's not actually wearing the symbiote. So like are you just talking about the symbolism or do you mean like in a
2: – Yeah, more, okay. more the symbolism, yeah. I guess. Yeah, Maybe I'm not explaining I it right.
0: Think it's, I think it's a, a happy coincidence that he's wearing that costume at that time. yeah. Um, it, he's not it's it's he that was the costume he was he was rocking at that period because he had lost a symbiote but I'm almost positive this is before yeah this is before he fights venom venom is time.
3: 88 and the story yeah. is 87
0: so so this is so he loses the symbiote but he still wants to wear that costume so he makes one um just like he made the original but I think i I think I smell what you're cooking in the sense that that symbiote does represent an like a a hyper confident um almost feral version of spider-man that's when he's like less compassionate when he puts that on and all that stuff and and you happen to know that because of all the history um it didn't really represent that at that time so much except for when he was actually wearing the symbiote but i still think that there's merit to what you're saying at least as a as a thought
1: And I think it's flirted with in the writing as well because, like, even – I forget who he says it to, but it's that moment where one of the villains that, like, he – you know, he says a thing about how he would like to – like, a small part of him would like to kill him.
2: Or – oh, it's the – It's the uh, the bodyguard. Yeah,
1: he's like, I'd like to, like, tear them apart to get back at him, but it's only a small part, you know? And, like, I'm going to deal with this like a man, not a spider. And, you know, I think – that, um that was, that's one of the moments that sticks out to me the most is like, I actually pulled that page out. And then, um and then also the one before that, where he's like that scene of him crawling out of the grave. And it's like this, like big, deep hole or whatever. And he's saying, you know, the whole thing of like, uh you know, again, it's it's that thing of like, that he sees him as more than a man, but that, you know, he's really just a man who was tapped on the shoulder by fate. And that his real strength is that he isn't anything more, more than a man that he is just a, a, a person. You know who is um, who's trying to do something decent, and I think like whether or not he does flirt with that those same problems that Craven has that animalistic nature that like that's what makes him different is that he rises above it or he tries to anyway.
0: Well, let, let's talk about Craven uh, because again, so Craven, this is this is his this, the story is called Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, this is the last. This is his last. You know, hurrah, if you will. And he knows that from the beginning, from the outset. He realizes he's either gonna win this, or that's it. He, he even one of the first things he says is, I'm gonna die soon. Um, so there so both yeah, both characters are very concerned in the, at this point in time with their mortality, and there's probably a good reason for that on Craven's part, because of what happens in the end. Um, do you guys wanna talk about Craven and his journey throughout this book at all?
3: Sure. Well, how about the ending? Um where, you know, after he's been confronted by Peter, and he basically says like, "I don't need to kill you," because he's already sealed the victory in his mind. He did what he set out to do. Well, while he wasn't like the perfect Spider Man, he did exactly what he set out to do. There's like a sense of accomplishment.
0: Yeah, because not only does he defeat Spider Man, uh, and kill him in a metaphorical sense, um, and, and which makes perfect sense for Craven, uh, because when I so when I read this, I thought, well, this is just comic books. This is like, oh well, I, I, you know, I could have killed you, but I didn't because of X plot reason, right? Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, but when I thought about it more, it's like, well, actually, this makes a ton of sense because he doesn't care about about Peter Parker, right? He doesn't even know who that is. They never ever make a point to say that he even looks at who's under the mask. It doesn't matter to him. Spider-Man may as well not be a human for all that Craven is concerned with.
1: And that's how so, he builds him up, right? That he's right. more than a man, that he's some creature.
0: Right. So that so his mortality is irrelevant. It wasn't about that. It was about Craven becoming something more, you know? And so for him it's about donning the, the 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 costume of Spider-Man and showing I can I can be more than human. I can be something great. That's why he goes after Vermin. To say, well this this creature beat the old guy. He beat Spider Man. But I'm the perfect fusion between animal and man. So I can beat this thing. You know? I can I can be the the ultimate Spider Man, if you will. Uh the superior Spider Man if
3: you
0: will. <laughs> and and so I think that I think that's why it, it sort of makes sense that he didn't kill him. Yeah. Yeah, a perm- I, really I, think it's, I think it's just good
1: storytelling, too. Like, it is, it feels like it is that kind of setup, and it's like, no, okay, there's like a real there's a real reason that he didn't just kill him, too, because he wanted to not only prove to himself, but also watch Peter fail and be like, I made my point. You
3: that, know? That's, that was my big takeaway, I guess, is that um, maybe this kind of thing we've seen in the last 30 years in other characters and other stories, but the way Demandis really structures it, it feels really, really coherent in a was a six issues story like it's extremely concise um
1: and i also i wanted to uh before we move on from this book because i know we still have to talk about ultimate spider-man but um i also wanted to point out i think it, it makes really good use of mary jane's um storyline as well
3: when she and, kills the rat
1: yeah when she kills the rat and then also just the entire thing of like Her struggle with, you know, what we know about Mary Jane as a character and who she is and her own um, grappling with death and not the fear of her own death, but like of Peter's, you know, that like she has been complacent in his lifestyle all this time and that like she is really like wondering like what happens if he doesn't come home one night? You know, if he's laying in a fucking alley somewhere bleeding out and I'm sitting here, you know, thinking,
0: oh, he's just late and and she's she's had to go through death or the deaths, as well. It's you know we talked about all the deaths that Spider-Man has has been through, but she went through them as well. And I think Blue really shows that when you talk about Gwen Stacy and how that affected Mary Jane. So she's living that and knows that Spider-Man and that and Peter's existence as Spider-Man has cost the lives of other people that she grew to love, and that could happen to him, and. there's a pivotal moment where she's about to be attacked by these men and spider-man swoops down and saves her but she can immediately tell that that is not peter right and that's such an important moment for this story because we talk about it all the time we talk about legacy characters we talk about what it means to wear a certain costume right and for her as the lover of the person who's supposed to be in that costume it's immediately apparent no this isn't right is that still spider-man what is this you know and i think that's the question that this book wants you to ask in a lot of ways um and then also phil you brought up her killing the rat um i think that was hugely important because this book is very much about humanity yeah and that line right between our quote-unquote animal nature and our quote-unquote human nature right yeah passion versus just just feral like not giving not not caring about any living creature and that's why i think craven was
3: used exactly he wanted to use vermin originally but vermin is a, a great like you know side villain for this
1: conduit for like what the actual story is talking about you know yeah
3: exactly like
1: but craven is the juxtaposition of like both of those characters right of spider-man the man and vermin the animal well i i yeah
0: i I think vermin was chosen and and is absolutely perfectly used because so if you don't know vermin was a human before like a straight up regular guy and then was um manipulated and changed by baron zemo into this creature so he was a man who became an animal basically right and i think that obviously when you're talking about this story and you look at craven he's a man trying to become an animal because he he believes and this is going into like you know the thesis of why craven is 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 even in this story to begin with but in the beginning he talks about how the spider right like the metaphorical spider destroyed his homeland and took a prosperous nation and destroyed it and he talks about how his mother killed herself and how they said she was crazy but in his brain she just lost to the spider right right her spider and So, he's got a personal vendetta, not against, like, a spider, but that's what represents his dread. And so, he tries to overcome that by eating it, by, you know, poisoning himself, all this kind of stuff, right? And he ultimately realizes, well, actually, uh, the world that we see, the world that we live in is BS, you know? There is only the animal kingdom, that's the only truth, He wanted to be a man who was cultured, he was into books, he was into all of that, but that was not acceptable anymore in his world. And so he could only turn to his animal primal nature. That's why he's a hunter. And so the ultimate game is Spider-Man, right? And Spider-Man is his spider in the sense that he's the only person, he's the only creature that Craven's never been able to beat
1: absolutely and he's he's the personification of his fears exactly you know of of his uh his decaying body and his mortality and the fact that he hasn't and that he hasn't restored his family's legacy
0: yep absolutely um i before we move on i really would like to talk about the 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 resurrection scene if you will of spider-man because i really think it's important i think it's the bedrock piece of this story um what thoughts do you guys have about that particular scene and him rising out of the grave i'll 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 take it um so for me it's really significant that what he says and what he's thinking as he's like fighting out of this and it's it's not like we see later on that he was fighting out of his grave um we see that during his final battle with vermin but when we're seeing this scene unfold we're seeing a a battle he's having in his mind versus these creatures as a spider, and then he comes out of the spider, and as he's rising from his grave, the thing he says is, Mary Jane, I love you, right? So it's the very human love and compassion that he has for this woman who has been um, sort of the, the rock in his life ever since Gwen died that is what brings him out of this, and brings him out of it not in a feral state, you know not look, like not looking to kill cuz it it you know he was just buried for 2 weeks um but brings him out of it looking to get to her right he goes he, he goes back to her and that's that's how he's able to write himself and i think that that's, that says so much about his relationship with her and and about what he is and that he's not this animal spider he's a man you know
3: to me it's the rebirth of of Spider Man, the, the man. It, it represents his compassion, his love, the things that distinguish himself from Craven,
1: and things that distinguish himself from you know, spider. like, or from Spider Man. You know, like the things that are like that are Peter. You know, like that no matter what Spider-Man is or has to be or whatever, that like that Peter is the man underneath. And it's very clearly like, uh, even visually, like there's a lot of like birth imagery, you know, he's birthed from the spider. He's climbing out of this hole that looks like a womb or whatever. He's being reborn from the earth, you know, like, yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, final thoughts about Craven's last Hunt?
3: for my money. It's the best Spider-Man book I've ever read.
1: I, I think it's certainly among, I think it's certainly worthy of the conversation if it doesn't take the title. Uh, I mean, I think that era of Spider-Man is honestly kind of a golden age for the character. And uh, I think this is one of the strongest stories from that time. And I think it shows the strength of, you know, it, 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 it's one of my favorite stories from that, like, rise of the dark and gritty superhero story. Because it it is darker and grittier than your average Spider-Man fare, but not in a way that it tries to make Spider-Man darker gritty. You know, it puts him in a in a world that seems dark and scary, and shows him as a beacon of of humanity and of love and of hope and and I think that's you know, I think that's like that's the reading of the character. Yeah, I, it gets Spider Man. I think it has a lot of valuable things to say about Peter, and by extension, Spider Man.
0: Uh, th- for for me, this is the this is the deepest spider-man book i've ever read with the most to say with the most embedded imagery and messages and symbolism uh i really love stories like this i love stories that i mean i mean i i worship at grant morrison's feet right and he's like the king of symbolism so books like this always strike me and i'm so glad that we got one for spider-man oh
3: yeah man that's i guess that's my takeaway is it felt it it felt deeper than it was which is funny because he was buried deep in the ground
0: Alright, so the last book we're going to talk about is Ultimate Spider Man, and we're specifically talking about the first arc of this book. Uh, You know, again, this is like the book between this and a a couple other things that made me a fan of comics. So I'm really excited to talk about this one. Um, So we're not going to do any preamble other than to say that this is kind of the book that started the Ultimate Universe, and it was supposed to be a continuity free um story that brings Spider-Man back to his roots as a as a young kid from issue 1 and he's a teenager and he just goes through what it's like to be a kid in mo- in the modern age
1: I guess It's probably the closest analog to what we're going to see in uh Homecoming.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, let's just dive right in. I mean, Pete, this is your this is your bread and butter, man. So Yeah, it. I mean,
1: to me like this is like the definitive Spider-Man origin. You know, like I I think that like Ultimate Spider Man is such a good book, and I think it's such a new reader friendly way to jump in and get what Spider Man's about really quickly. And, like, yeah, it takes a lot of creative liberties. Like we said, Mary Jane's the girl next door instead of the party girl. Gwen is, like, you know, the Riot Girl punk chick or whatever. Like, it, it's modern. It's definitely, or not modern anymore, but modern for our generation. Um,. So, like, yeah, it changes a lot, but I think in terms of, like, what we always talk about with these kinds of, like, adaptions or whatever is that it gets the core right. It gets Peter right. It gets how he feels about other people and his relationships to other characters right. And, um, I mean, you know, it's a great setup of just, like, the entire great, you know, uh, power, great responsibility thing. And I think this first arc does a really good job of of just doing that in a way that feels a little less tired You know
0: yeah um, one of the things that I I really like about this run and I don't say that I like it more than in the original comic uh, but I I like it is that Aunt May and Uncle Ben are younger Uh, in the original series Aunt May is very frail Uncle Ben is an old man and we only get he's only in one issue um, which is the amazing fantasy uh, issue so I like that we get to spend some time, even if it's not much, we get to spend some time with Uncle Ben, uh, and you get to see his impact on Peter's life and his the, death means way more. Yeah. Because you get a sense of how close they are and Exactly. You know.
2: Yeah, what I think what I think this first arc especially does really, really well, is it it really roots you in Peter's life before actually making him Spider Man.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, it, it's funny because, like, you know, um, <laughs> like, I got into Riverdale recently, right? And, like, I remember, like, well, reading... Oh, here we go. Oh, shut the fuck up, Phil. <laughs> uh, I remember while while reading Spider-Man Blue and then while thinking back on Ultimate Spider-Man and, and you know, um, revisiting it, like, <laughs> it I like those, like, that it gives you some moments of just, like, Peter just being a kid before you see him become Spider-Man because I think his transition, like his reactions to it, you know, how he's having those moments of, like, holy crap, like, I'm Spider-Man. Like, they feel more authentic because you did just experience the, you know, he's on the bus and people are picking on him and, like, he has a crush on this girl he's been friends with his whole life. And, like, you said, it it really gives you a good foundation for who Peter is and what his status quo is that when it shifted it actually means something.
2: And uh to to that point I I also wanted to point out that it's really interesting how we're not actually in Peter's head and we don't get like his narration and stuff until like the third or fourth issue.
0: Yeah, which is which is a a stark contrast to the original comics where you're always in Peter's head. Um there were some things though that I, I guess I wasn't totally in love with. Uh first of all, I feel like I, I don't really care for Norman Osborne's portrayal in this series. Uh at least in the in the early in the early stages. So in these issues that we read, um he's a complete douchebag. And yeah. he's such a raging douchebag that it's almost impossible for me to imagine that anyone spends any time around him. And I get it. Like, he's a, <laughs> he's, he's a, he's a rich owner of a, of a huge uh, tech company. Um, and so he's got a lot of power, and people have to put up with his BS. And, like, I get all that. But I just wished he would have had more humanity to him.
3: How this. does anyone put up with the guy who owns Uber, who's, like, by all accounts, the biggest douchebag ever? It's money, yeah, baby!
0: I mean, yeah, for sure. For sure. That
3: exists in the real world.
1: Yeah, but you're not wrong. Like he's a total dick, and like the original Norman's definitely a lot more charming.
3: Well, I like the original Norman because when his de- his descent into the Green Goblin makes it more of a tra- tragedy figure.
0: Yeah, because you actually care. Yeah. Well, in-, in the original comics, he's Green Goblin alongside being that regular guy. Right, right. Which right, I re- right. I really liked. Yeah.
1: Because you uh, like you feel some like maybe there's a shred of humanity in him, and like you want him to be there for Harry, but like, you yeah, know, and
0: he's more sympathetic. Yeah, um, it was it was I think more of the inspiration there was like a Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde type thing, where it's like where it's like he's this really good guy, he turns into a monster sometimes. Um, I really liked that. And Willem Defoe here. like
1: nails that in the original film, you know, Dr. like Conner's, that thing of baby. like, yeah. Same yeah, same kind
0: of deal. Whereas here he's just a straight up piece of garbage. And I didn't care for that.
2: Yeah, and, and this, you know, this isn't in the in the in the book we did, but later on, I think it's volume four, when we see the return of the Green Goblin, uh, that not only is his you know, his piece of garbageness intensified, you're also they also add the layer of the Doctor Jekyll uh thing because goblins you have, like, a whole issue where you're going back and forth with Osborne and the Goblin talking to each other.
4: Yeah. That's cool.
1: I fucking hate... I hate Norman Osborne in that universe so goddamn much. And for things that if you haven't read Ultimate Spider-Man, I won't spoil for you here, but... Fuck that character.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I... I like, but I dislike at the same time, it was probably the best choice they could have made, though, is the fact that so many of Spider-Man's villains are not only present from basically the word go but that they all work for Norman Osborn or are created because of his actions. Yeah.
3: I felt like that was kind of lifted from John Byrne's Superman though. Like that's kind of what they did with Lex Luthor and like characters like Parasite or Metallo and shit like that. I
1: think it's also just like it was an easy plot device in a world that was supposed to be small yeah. and like got big quicker than it expected to you know
2: yeah 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 because uh they talked about they talked about uh uh ben yurik was already covering the kingpin uh you know well before that that second arc
0: i i definitely think it works i don't i don't want to say that it doesn't work i think it works perfectly fine and i think that especially because of what pete said you know this is supposed to be they're not trying to tell you stories about his adulthood and all that stuff and the villains he meets later because that's not what this is about so how do you introduce those villains without that element so
1: <laughs> you know you know what I think I don't mean to interrupt but I think like the funniest thing that happens with that like that dichotomy of like peter is <laughs> peter's a teenager but they want to use some of his characters that are introduced as an adult is like the whole thing with him and black cat i don't know if you guys have all gotten far enough there like she meets him and they're like flirting or whatever, and then she figures out he's fifteen and she literally just throws up,
0: like, <laughs> like on like on him.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, what do you guys think about this as the origin story for Peter, uh, juxtaposed with the original origin story for the classic version? I I'm not actually crazy about
2: like the original origin story, like as a story, uh, you know. I've always felt like the way Peter's portrayed in that is he's kind of a whiny little asshole <laughs> yeah and then and like to you know this really gives him some depth, and he like really you can tell he's really going through some teenager stuff, but in in like in i th- i think there are several different like comics that that kind of explore this had peter not been bitten by that radioactive spider he could have just as easily grown up to be a super villain i hate flash thompson and he i'm gonna get him someday and uh, <laughs> he pushed me in the street and i can't yeah, believe
3: the whole story is that he learns this shit when ben dies
2: right yeah of course it is. but i think i think the point but that what kills
1: I'm, oh no, i'm sorry go
2: ahead yeah what i'm saying is like i like that's what i Like, yeah, the Uncle Ben lesson is there and that it improves on that. But this made Peter likable for me, you know, before he was ever Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, I feel like instead of portraying him as like, to your point, like just like a kind of like a whiny little dick, like it's more that like the moment that the whole thing with Ben feels more like that moment that every fucking child has had with one of their parents, where they're they're frustrated, and even if they're in the wrong, it's like, I hate you! Like, you know, fuck you! And then he dies. And you never get to take that back. And not only that, you could have stopped it. If you weren't being so up your own ass and selfish. And I think, like, that is real. like that's Like, that's a very... Like, him doing that is a thing you can identify with, because you've probably done it, you know? And... And then the fact that he doesn't get to take it back and that it was this horrible, you know, mistake that he made and that it defines the rest of his life, you know, in, in a way that feels organic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like this origin a lot. I like that he, even though he's very much uh, a nerd and picked on, even though I kind of thought I kind of thought Bendis oversold the picking on thing in the early issues. Yeah. It was a little much. Yeah. Um, I like that he had someone. You know, I like that he had Mary Jane to kind of, you know, take away from that. And he had Uncle Ben and he had Aunt May. So the original Peter, he doesn't have, I mean, he has uh, Uncle Ben for one issue, but he doesn't have Mary Jane and he doesn't have Gwen. He only has Aunt May and he doesn't tell her those things. You know, he keeps that stuff from her. And we don't have that background with
2: Uncle Ben and Aunt May
0: to really care. Right. Yeah. I think Bendis did a great job of making those characters more relevant here than they were to begin with.
1: Absolutely. And and again, I think, like, the relationship that he has with Mary Jane is, like, very important because it gives him someone to, like, trust, you know, and bounce off of. And, like, that way that he confides in her is, like, a really big emotional core of the series, you know? And, like, not just, like, their romance, but, like, their friendship and, like, the emotional support that she's able to give him when no one else can because she's the only one who knows right and it reinforces that bond right that she knows that he lets her know
0: yeah um i so all said i I really think that this is a a great origin for peter um yes it's not it's not accurate in terms of you know if you're if you only go by the classic version it changes a lot of things but it's the think ultimate universe though exactly.
1: this is the ultimate spider-man though Exactly. Um, I think guys, this Spider-Man
2: is it, ultimate.
3: This book feels very encapsulated to when it was published. Like it feels like 2002, 2000, like the Sony movie. Like it just feels like
0: that whole time period. Oh, sure. totally. Yeah, absolutely. Spider-Man um, for
1: our generation, for sure.
0: <laughs> I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm really interested to see how how much of this. They pull for homecoming. All right. That's going to do it. Unless anyone has any closing thoughts on ultimate Spider-Man.
4: Marco. Yeah. Um,
3: Oh boy. No, no, no. Oh my Uh, God.
4: We just had a
0: perfect transition. Uh, I hate (laughs)
3: Spider-Man. No,
4: no, no, no. Um, my only thing with, uh, ultimate Spider-Man, I really enjoyed the writing. Uh, it was, it was a fun book. It
2: was like a, it was a fun take. Um, Marco, how did you? I you read Powers way before uh, you got to this, didn't you? Yeah. How do you do? You feel it's similar? Do you feel it compares? Uh, Power. I'll say for you know the audience, Ultimate Spider Man and uh, Powers are both written by uh, Be- Brian Michael Bendis. Wait, um, the Brian Bendis? Yeah. The no, no, the Brian Michael Bendis. You mean the author of Ultimate Spider Man and Daredevil, Brian? Michael Bendis. What of him? <laughs> so the both of these books are written by him. Uh, I I feel like Powers came out first. Uh, do you know Powers came out in like two thousand one? Okay, they came, came out, out around the same, the same time year then,
1: right? Like, I feel like this yeah. came out two thousand one as well.
2: How do you how do you feel like they compare?
4: Uh, I think it's way different. Um, he does his street level superhero stuff. But in powers, it's a lot more crime focused, a lot more, um, like noir. So I don't think that it's, uh, I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's all that comparable. Um, and plus it, 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 also, it's more of like a, a mature quote unquote focus, you know, it's more aimed at an, an adult. Um, but the thing I was going to say was, uh, Otley's art in this series sort of threw me off. Why? Just Who's because. Art? Who's art, Marco? Otley, Ryan Otley.
2: Fuck nope. you. Try again.
4: <laughs> I didn't... isn't it Otley? No, no, it's not Otley. It, it's, it's Bagley. M-
2: it's, it's Mark Bagley.
4: Oh, whoops. Oh, what? I is... thought you were just showing me. Bagley's art. No, Bagley's art threw me off. Clearly, I, I didn't much enjoy. It. I didn't much enjoy. It, like, enjoy it. It uh, it uses like a lot of like heavy, um, heavy inks, but the lighting didn't. Necessarily, like
2: provide such sharp and like thick inks. Um, Ooh, I don't. I don't know that. I can you know, see that. I, it it definitely, especially around. I think volume three. So around when Doc Ock shows up, maybe issue eighteen ish. It changes, and then it changes again. Uh, I want to say right around what you were talking about, Pete. Kind of around the time that the black cat shows up, volume
0: eight. Well, that's it. It, it he kind of goes through different stages. That that's definitely an ink thing because there's there's a number of different um, inkers that do work on this book throughout its run. Um, so I I I don't know. The that, color
1: has changed, on, I think, more than one occasion too.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. If, sure. I don't yeah. know if necessarily you can lobby that at mark i mean unless you just don't like his style yeah i i literally don't like right. him
2: on anything else
0: well, all right then
3: that's
2: crazy yeah i mean i i but i feel i feel i feel i feel the same way about like uh mike mccone too like i only like him on jeff john's teen titans because they both they both have this way of like when they draw certain characters their facial expressions look just the exact same every single time, and it just it drives me crazy. That said, I I love Bailey for Ultimate Spider Man. Keep him on Ultimate Spider Man forever. I don't know. He's the for me. Well, he's the definitive. He hasn't
1: written or he hasn't drawn it in like fucking six years. So.
2: Come back. Well, Let's maybe that's it. a problem then, Pete. <laughs>
1: well, so now we're gonna now we're gonna blame Sarah Picelli.
0: No, she's amazing. <laughs> the book's over. <laughs> it doesn't even exist anymore. So with that, we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh definitely, definitely do let us know if you'd like to hear more things like this and uh what books you'd like to see us talk about in the future on the book club.
4: Next one Swamp Thing, guys. Just just throwing oh it my out there. Oh Fucking God. That's
1: Marco, wrong. you know what? Like, I honestly I would be like your best bet in trying to push like a pro swamp thing agenda, but you've been trolling me for like <laughs> Forty episodes. I'm or not. We haven't even been around that long. It just feels like it feels 40 like it episodes. when Marco trolls
0: you. <laughs> See, I actually have read Swamp Thing comics that I enjoyed. So what I told you, I read the um the 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 the, the oh my gosh. oh the yeah, yeah, the yeah yeah Snyder, and Snyder and how memorable it was. No, it was really good. It just I don't know. Um, I read Scott Snyder's run. Really enjoyed it. So if you would just, you know, kind of stop being the villain on the show.
1: Fucking heel.
0: Yeah. We already have a film, Marco. Not to mention you (laughs) interrupted me while I was doing my, you know, my spiel. Come on.
2: Sean, I I don't appreciate this kayfabe you've got going on. Me?
1: (laughs) This is the part of the show where we interrupt Sean. Go
3: back to the plugs. All right. So I'd like to
0: promote. um... No, shut up. I'd like to promote my new show uh, that I'm going to be doing without any of you. It's called Sean's Soapbox. What did I do? <laughs> it's, it's called the Long Box Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm switching factions. Um, but no, in all seriousness, you guys can let us know what you think about this or any of the other uh, things that we do by reaching out to us. Wherever you're listening to this, whether that be iTunes, SoundCloud, or any other podcast hosting platform, you can leave us a like and a comment. We really, really appreciate that. Um, You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and wherever else you can, wherever else social media is sold at the comics pals, you can write to us at the comics pals at gmail.com. And if you are listening to this on YouTube, definitely do like the video, uh, leave a comment, share it with your friends, and subscribe to the channel. We are definitely, definitely looking for more subscribers. So if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel and you do like what we do, why don't you do us a favor and hit us up with a subscribe. We would really you appreciate
1: it. If you're listening on SoundCloud, just go over to YouTube and just subscribe. Just help us yeah, out. Yeah,
0: why not? Why not? and uh, and and if you do do that I guarantee you there's a lot of content on there that you don't even know exists. There's a ton of great stuff there. So check us out on YouTube uh and then there's a lot more to come. So if you, especially if you want more con- more content like this, we've got a ton coming down the pipe. So stay tuned for all that. Um I don't know if we should do plugs this nah. episode. I don't think we should. Nah. I'm nah. I'm just going to uh let me
2: I I'll, I I want to plug just one thing um my friend uh, Aaron Keepers uh, writes for the uh, the comics website Hero Index. She is going to have an article about the uh, the books you should read uh, before going into Spider Man Homecoming. I believe uh, Craven's Last Hunt is on there. I believe uh, Spider Man Blue is on there. I know Ultimate Spider Man is. Um, it's a great uh, great article. Aaron's uh, an amazing writer. Um, And I've known her for a long time. And uh, the Hero Index is a really great website. So uh, make sure and and keep an eye out on that. Uh, I will post the Spider-Man article when it comes out and alongside this podcast. So keep an eye out uh, for that.
0: Well, if the list is worth its salt, then those books definitely will be on it. And I expect them to be.
1: Otherwise, we do (laughs) not endorse it. (laughs) It
0: got real heavy here. Okay, I, I I didn't say that last part.
1: I did. My face is on the shirt. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm uh, starting to wish my face wasn't.
0: Ooh. <laughs> We're going to have to uh, hash this one out off the air. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we are the Comics Pals signing off. Take care. Excelsior.